Welcome to Impact AI, the podcast for startups who want to create a better future through the use of machine learning. I'm your host, Heather Couture. Today I'm joined by guest Mayar Salek, co-founder and CTO of DeepCell, to talk about cell sorting. Mayar, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Mayar, could you share a bit about, about your background and how that led you to create DeepCell? Sure. I'm a computer scientist by training. My PhD work was in the intersection of algorithms, graphs, which are mathematical objects that model a set of entities and their relationship, and economics. So after PhD, I shifted my focus, the interplay between data and algorithms, which eventually led me to work on AI and machine learning applications. My first startup back in 2013, which I co-founded with a former colleague from Microsoft Research, was a deep learning-based photo sharing app in the early days of deep learning, where many of the tools that we take for granted today, uh, back, back in the day, we developed from scratch. And this, this startup was really an app that empowered users to do more with their social photos based on AI. Um, that, it, that was trained on the than uh, the kind of data that they actually entered into uh, the social media. And it was basically organically harvesting that data through a creative design of the UI. So um, think about, for instance, uh, an expanded uh, version of uh, kind of um, emoticons and likes and et cetera, that you could actually localize it into a region of the photo or a video, et cetera. And, by that, we could actually like get more information from it. And so aside from the roller coaster learning experience that um, scaling up uh, from a handful of users to hundreds of thousands of users back in the day, um, really in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, aside from that, I started developing a sense for the power of data that could really only be seen when you are dealing with a large number of examples. So long story short, my startup experience gave me a footing into software product development and the product design in the age of AI. I joined a team at Google that was tasked to understand the relationship between online and offline behavior of the users to serve better ads. Again, using data and machine learning. As the lead product manager there, I launched a product in a dozen of countries and scaled up the business into a multi-billion dollar business at Google. However, around the same time, I met Madison, my co-founder, who was doing her postdoc at Professor Ewan Ashley's lab, uh, who's basically um, a renowned professor at Stanford. And her research was truly fascinating, designing microfluidics chips for physical properties of cells, which often manifested in its morphology. Morphology meaning like how the cells look like. And that sort of triggered this thought um, for me that, yeah, I mean, if, if there's so much information in like how the cells look like, there must be more that we could do with this new age of AI. So for instance, one of her prior papers showed how the physical, how to physically separate cells with different deformability, which is known to have correlation with disease and can also be validated through looking at morphology. And that was basically like the start of the story. That's how uh, we started kind of putting together the power of AI with microfluidics, with genomics and biology. And that was the genesis of DeepCell. 
So what does deep cell do and why is this important for diagnosing and treating disease? Yeah, so um, a short description is the following. So deep cell is a single cell deep morphological analysis and sorting platform. Now let's let's unpack that. For, so single cell meaning that we're looking at um, like every single cell one at a time and we look at the morphology of them um, so we analyze the morphology using deep learning and AI, and we are able to sort these cells based on morphology. So sorting means that you could actually direct the cells based on what you see into different bins. And by doing so, by having this like physical um, the sort of manipulation on, on the cells, you can bring morphology to um, so-called multiomic analysis era. And when we talk about multiomics is understanding the genomics or the protein structure or the transcriptome, like all the other um, sort of modality of information that today's biology can get, can read out off of the cell. And by bringing morphology to that through sorting, we could actually say, that, hey, this cell that looks like this has this underlying genome uh, or um, expresses this kind of genes, have this kind of a protein expression. So that's that's the power of that. And so we really use the power of computer vision and AI capabilities combined with the advances in microfluidics and imaging to create this high dimensional, high content interpretation of single cell image. image. And we use that in real time to purify and separate cells of interest. That's really the core technology. And you mentioned, okay, so like how, like why this is important? Why does it matter? So it is actually hard to overstate the importance of cell morphology in how we understand, diagnose, and, and treat diseases. Since the advent of microscoping, was it like 1600s, I guess? Um, scientists have been looking at cell morphology um, as a strong indication of, um, again, the health of uh, the patient, the health of uh, um, the organ, the underlying organ, and the, or the disease state. And um, experts in the field of biology constantly inspect their cells for the evidence of cytotoxicity of a drug, uh, differentiation state, activation state of the cells, Again, by again looking at the cells, and um, so this field needs a standardization badly, and um, it, it starts with like how you actually um, start with a sample prep, and uh, but more so than that is to actually understand like what it means when a cell looks like a certain way, and that's what we are bringing. You know, basically the large scale. AI um, to understand these like rare patterns. Um, yeah, so that's that's I guess the the way this uh, relates to disease. So how does the machine learning and computer vision aspect work? How how does it accomplish cell cell sorting for you? So for us, the machine learning and AI is not really an only an add on to the technology. It's the core of our technology. So um, first, uh, remember that we have to see millions of cells um, in even in just one go, one run. 
So you can't really do that without uh, the scalability of an algorithm, right? And then we have to be consistent and robust. Uh, we have to be able to um, do it repeatedly and do it robustly. And we have to do it fast because these are actually, in many cases, live samples. So you, know, you can't have your samples sit in a, in a container uh, for too long. So it has to be done really fast and um, has to be economical, right? You can't you know, hire the, uh, the experts around the world to basically look at these cells at scale. And like, if you put all of these constraints together, there's only one solution, that doing it with an algorithm that can take as input the high content information, the kind of information that actually a cytopathologist, an expert in the field would look at and perform at the same level of accuracy of a human being. So it's not really the sort of the first cut of morphology that kind of looks at um, you know, easy to measure uh, metrics such as size, such as eccentricity, like these are, I would call them the first cut, but this is, this goes beyond the first cut. It actually looks at the intricacies that only a human eye um, has so far been able to understand by looking at the, um, like a um, tissue under a microscope. So given these, these millions of cells that you process, even just in a single run, you cl clearly you can gather a, a ton of data from that, but how do you annotate or organize it or um, do whatever pre-processing is needed in order to apply machine learning to it? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, and so, so first of all, um, as you just mentioned, we generate the images ourselves. So that means we have like as opposed to perhaps you know some companies that they rely on um, out outside data sets, our images um, are generated through our own machine, and also they're generated in a controlled way. Like we actually understand the environment, the microfluidic chips that these images are generated in. So it's much easier to kind of uh, remove the artifacts and noise once we, you actually understand your system. So um, that's, that's, that's one big um, element of how we could uh, clean up the data, right? And then uh, regarding the annotation, so um, it comes you know, in various ways. So first of all, a lot of the, uh, while a lot of the cells are hard to annotate, sometimes you know you could actually annotate the samples, or you or use the annotations that come from the samples metadata. So, for instance, in many ways, you could um, start with a cell line. So, cell line is a population of cells that uh, has grown outside the body, um, in vitro, and um, they're supposedly pure, right? So, it's it's the same type of cell uh, that is. Um, grown to a population. Um, having said that, they're actually they're not. <laughs> it it turns out to be that they're not uh, hundred percent pure. So there is still heterogeneity even within cell lines, and we actually see that um, you know in our in our runs. But uh, regardless, it it can be mass annotated uh, if you start with those. Um, so so that's that's one area uh, that we get you know 
uh, scale up on the annotations. And then um, the, through the fact that we are able to sort these cells, you could actually um, kind of correct these annotations by accessing the, we call it gold truth. Because imagine like, you know, you have a hypothesis that, you know, these cells are, um, you know, cancer cells of, uh, I don't know, like adenocarcinoma, non-small cell lung cancer, right? So, and then you sort these cells, you separate them out, and you pass it down to a to your favorite cancer assay. Call it, I don't know, um, a, a, a copper number um, variation, CNV assay. And you see that actually this is not the case. Like you have the wrong hypothesis, wrong annotation. You could, using that sorting capability, you could actually update your annotation and um, consequently your an AI model to um, basically uh, improve significantly in the next version. So that's that's really powerful. Um, I, I have to mention a couple of more things. So we actually have developed an annotation tool that because we are dealing with large number of sales and it's really hard to, um, well, it's very time consuming to go through um, as you said, even a million cells one by one um, to annotate them. So we use the AI to cluster them based on morphology and we only annotate the outliers there. So that's that's really powerful. And then the last thing I would say is that we are uh, increasingly becoming better at self-supervised methods where we actually don't need a lot of annotations. and. That turns out to be really powerful. So our latest results um, show that um, some of our models that are trained on self-supervised methods are as performant as the ones that are trained on uh, like highly annotated data sets, which is extremely exciting to us. I think that's the um, that's the future of AI, and you know we are very pleased to be able to uh, sort of be at the forefront of that. So one of the challenges in working with, with these cell images that you already hit on is the heterogeneity within cell lines. But what other types of challenges do you encounter in working with this type of imagery? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are there are many. Um, well, first of all, when I hear challenges, I equate them with opportunities. Uh, and I'll tell you why. So, um, for instance, one of the challenges, not just uh, with us, but any sort of AI, uh, AI solution that looks at uh, biological samples is the susceptibility to artifacts. So whether it's going to be the you know small differentiation with the hardware setup or the focus, uh, like imaging focus or the lighting, et cetera. Um, so Andrew Ng actually has a very in interesting um, uh, quote that uh, he says, um basically like it's it's really easy to show in publications you know that yeah you know this ai model works really great on this kind of like radiology or cytology data but as soon as you roll it out the uh, there's a difference between your lab and the lab uh you know uh, a, a block down the road uh, because of the artifacts so it's it's artifacts are definitely challenging but for us it's an opportunity as I mentioned, because we generate the data uh, through our own platform. 
And um, that means that we have a very controlled environment. We understand many of the areas that artifacts could come from and uh, fix for that. Another challenge that um, this is a real challenge compared to the like the um, uh, state of the art in industry is that so there are ways um, today that people sort sales, but um, those ways are um, basically on a, based on a very uh, kind of rudimentary one dimensional laser signal that um, they basically they um, stain the cell with a type of marker and um, based on the uh, fluorescent signal that emits from that cell, people are able to um, sort these cells. Uh, as a result, well, first of all, um, this is a very rudimentary information. You have to um, have the right stain, you have to develop the right stain and all of that. And um, um, you uh, you basically change the nature of the cell as soon as you stain them. So there are you know all these limitations with this method, but um, a very uh, point of strength of these methods is that they're extremely fast, and uh, you know you could uh, in a in a second you could go over like tens of thousands of cells. But on the other hand, even the uh, most sophisticated, most uh, powerful GPUs, etc., um, you know, and and imaging technologies, it takes uh, you know quite a bit of time to um, generate a true image of the cell and a true um, like deep computation of uh, like basically uh, the inference of the model, and that means that. So um, we are going to be operating at a lower throughput than than these um, uh, sort of conventional methods, and that's a challenge. So we are setting ourselves to a standard that we need to be at a very high throughput, and we are actually innovating on a um, daily basis how to increase uh, our throughput. So that's that's another challenge. Um, what else? So I think. Uh, um, basically running the cells through any sort of environment, you have to make sure that the cells uh, stay intact. And for us, uh, you know, again, this is an opportunity because we're not really um, fiddling with the cells. We could, as we just image them in a very gentle way. And we actually have shown that uh, uh, these cells remain viable and even you could differentiate, you could expand these cells post-sorting. So that's, that's again, another opportunity for us that um, may seem like a challenge um, to other platforms. And then finally, we, um, we image the cells one at a time. So if you have a um, cell that comes from a tissue that has um, you know, certain properties, um, it may or may not uh, retain the original morphology because now it is dissociated and is um, coming to your platform in a liquid form. So, um, and, and again, so that may or may not matter. Uh, so we kind of look at the morphology as a signature and that signature may represent the original signature of the cells in the tissue or it may not. But for the cases that it does matter, you have to actually make sure that the cells um, you know, remain kind of true to their original morphology. And that's another challenge that we, um, uh, we sometimes have to deal with.
So one thing that I read on your website is that your models learn continuously and don't require labels. And I found that statement very intriguing. What does this mean? And why did you select this type of modeling approach? Yeah, so uh, I think I alluded to this earlier that uh, we are getting uh, more and more sort of excited about the self-supervised um, few-shot and zero-shot learning in, in our approaches. So, um, and that's that's what it means when, it, when we don't uh, need labels. So actually it's, it's really interesting. So labels here, um, based on who, uh, the, who you're talking to mean different things. So to a biologist, label is actually, um, you know, the stain the marker that you add to the cell so that it's so that the cell uh, um, emits some certain fluorescent signal so you could actually understand what this cell is. So in that way, we are entirely label free, right? We don't, uh, we were basically just looking at the uh, bright field images, no staining, nothing involved. And that is very advantageous if you actually need to do something meaningful with these cells post um, the process, um, uh, because these cells remain viable. Not only viable, they are the same, uh, they exhibit the same expressions that they would exhibit um, before sorting. And that's really powerful. So that's labeled from the biological point of view. But then also from the machine learning point of view, we rely less and less on labels. And that's because we um, deploy um, state-of-the-art um, self-supervised approaches and we actually innovate there. So, and I, I can tell you um, a few ways that we we have a, um, we have an advantageous point uh, or advantageous position there. So one reason that we can uh, basically generate um, models, self-supervised models that are really powerful is because we have a way to do natural augmentation. And as you, as you may know, augmentation is a very uh, powerful method to uh, train these um, unsupervised uh, or self-supervised models. So the way we do natural, I, I call it natural augmentation, is that um, we could design the uh, microfluidic chip so that the cells um, rotate in them or the cells sort of move uh, and you know changes uh, morphology in a natural way um, and that way think about it like you know as as you could have a um, several shots from different angles of a moving object of a moving sort of um, a fluid object and that gives you a very powerful way to um, use augmentation um, here as opposed to the synthetic augmentations that you sort of like change the um, uh, properties of an image uh, and uh, rely on that in order to train your self-supervised um, models. So, and that's, uh, that turns out to be powerful for us. And it's, it's a kind of a um, um, unique capability that because again, we have the full control over the imaging path and uh, like where the cells lie, where we image them, uh, we could actually uh, do this sort of things and come up with uh, models that are um, that are very uh, that are less less reliant on labels. 
What about the continuous learning aspect? Is that something where you're continuing to fine tune your self-supervised models as you gather more data? So that also I, I, I mentioned briefly before. So a unique capability of our uh, technology is that we are able to sort. And uh, the sorting not only allows you to do interesting biological um, uh, assays and processes to these cells, which is, you know, obviously in, uh, interesting to our uh, uh, customers and to our users, but also it's very interesting to our uh, data scientists because all of a sudden you have a way to get uh, ground truth. Uh, we call it gold truth, to be honest. So by um, by being able to run a biological assay and validate whether the existing model, like basically the errors in the existing models and existing labels. And that way you, you're able to iterate very quickly on your um, learning without even relying on a arguably erroneous um, human labels, uh, erroneous and obviously expensive human labels. So that's that's a very powerful capability for um, any kind of um, machine learning platform that uh, can access to um, a ground truth that does not come from um, human labels. So my experience with machine learning and the, the projects I've worked on, I found that projects are most successful when the machine learning developers are working directly with the domain experts who know what's being imaged or what the data represents. How does that collaboration work in your team? Yeah, um, I believe the same really. And uh, the way we sort of uh, show that belief in action is that we'll our, our cytopathologists, our um, cytotechnologists uh, that uh, provide these human labels um, um, to um, our system, they're actually part of our data science team. So they, so structurally, um, they're the same team. And um, that allows them to work very closely with our machine learning and data scientists, uh, which is powerful. And then um, more importantly, so the bioinformatician who understands other modality of um, other data modalities that are even more um, integrated with the, the biological understanding, they're part of the same team and they're um, working very closely with, the, with those who develop a computer vision um, algorithm. Um, so sort of uh, kind of structurally positioning them um, to be in the same team is actually a very important thing for us to do. And then, frankly, um, my belief is um, any modern life science companies that rely on um, data, you have to have a very tight collaboration between um, machine learning and data scientists and the domain experts. I mean, uh, we are still, there's a lot of, intuition that comes from um, uh, sort of human expertise that I don't think anytime soon the AI could be capable enough to be independent of those intuitions. And at the same time, a lot of the rare patterns can only be seen by the AI. So if you actually have solely 
um, like human experts looking at that data, uh, you won't be able to extract and identify those um, rare patterns and, and those insights. So it is really, the magic really happens when that collaboration um, takes place between the two. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI powered startups? Um, I would say my number one advice when it comes to um, implementing AI is for the, for the technology leader to understand what problems AI are good at and what problems AI is not good at. So we are living in a day and age that there is a, a lot of hype, right? With deep learning, with AI, with like, we are, we are living in a hype era, right? And for some of, some of those um, hyperbolic themes, um, AI is not there yet. And for some, it is, right? So it is really important to, as you kind of um, come up with a development strategy and the product strategy, understand uh, where you could rely on AI today versus where you hope that the AI, that the AI could deliver you know, two years down the road. So I would say, yeah, that's, that's the number one advice that I can come up with. Finally, where do you see the impact of DeepCell in three to five years? In three to five years, I anticipate that we would have showcased the breadth of impact um, that DeepCell technology has um, using the freedom of research projects. So we are uh, originally targeting research applications and researchers that are uh, as our original customers for a reason, because we believe that they're the ones who um, understand best how to apply this technology. And more often than not, we hear about an application that somebody wants to um, apply our technology on that we never thought of. So, and that's really the power of, I would say our initial um, target market. And then I'm expecting to see adopting um, our technology in more translational and clinical applications, as well as pharma and therapeutics. So, and, but we're very cognizant that uh, about the timing of that, because before sort of entering into the, um, to a highly regulated space, we would love to leverage the freedom of, um, research and research applications to actually show the breadth and the depth of the capability of our technology. So, um, and that's what I think will happen, uh, you know, in the first three years before we actually, um, those, um, uh, more, um, established or closer to patient type of applications. This has been great. Your team at deep cell is doing some really interesting work on single cell analysis. I I expect the insights you shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? Well, deepcell.com. And um, on that, we actually uh, post our uh, posters and presentations and publications there. And uh, generally, I would love any um, scholar conversations around like basically the applications that uh, other folks would see with this technology. And uh, I would love to 
um, start a conversation about um, that with anybody. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI.